Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here again today. We are going back to Jude after having gone to the Old Testament for the last few weeks looking at Cain, uh, Balaam, and then Korah. Uh, what we saw there was three examples of what we just simply say sinners uh, in the Old Testament that then face the judgment of God. Uh, because of the things they had done. And it, on the very top of the page, on page one, uh, it's in, in the middle of the section there, it says, Cain, it says they took the way of Cain, or the people that we're talking about in the book of Jude, they uh, followed Balaam's heir, and then Korah's rebellion. And these, that's what they did in the Old Testament. The idea here is that they did in the Old Testament and sinned. They faced God's judgment. The people in the book of Jude are doing the same things. That's, that's the why they're not just pointing out, don't do this or don't be like that. They're saying, they did this, they did this, and they're going to be facing the same judgment. You talk about, is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? This is what Cain, Balaam, and Korah faced, and now the people of 55 AD in the book of Jude are going to be facing the same kind of judgment. And the issue is the people in the church or the churches that Jude is writing to around, again, this is my date, that the book is not dated, but we're saying about 55 A.D., it matches uh, what Paul's writing in 57 A.D. to the Corinthian church as far as, so I mean, it's, it's going on in the churches. Uh, and then Peter is apparently going to take this reference and write around 64 A.D., uh, almost copying in chapter 2 of Second Peter, changing a few of the words, but talking about the same situation in 64 A.D., so again, Jude is either writing before Peter or after Peter, and you've got to make that decision. But nonetheless, these are things that are taking place in 55 A.D., but the judgment that these people faced is going to be the same judgment they're going to face in 55 A.D., and we can take that and make application. One application, it's 2023, nothing's changed. Here you are, judgment of God, 55 A.D., duck, look out, judgment's coming. Well, yeah, but 2023, it's like, it's it's the same to just watch you know it's going to happen of some kind of the judgment is going to come in and in jude of course is not writing to us he's writing to the churches of 55 a.d but the ideal is we look at the word of god and we see what god's nature and how he deals with things people and their nature and that's where we're heading uh i'm going to read just to read into this again jude ch uh, one chapter one uh in verse uh Verse 3, which is very important for the, get the context of this book. Dear friends, he writes in the NIV, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, and again, I almost feel that way today when we talk about, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uh, trying to balance myself, gauge myself, and you may be the same way, is I want to, be a, I want to teach the Bible, but then you, you look up at the world and you see this going on and, and this and, and all these things that it's like, I need to address this and talk about it. And pretty soon you're no longer teaching Bible, you're just addressing these events. Well, Jude appears to be, I want to teach you about the salvation that we share and, and encourage you in it. But it's like, your whole world's falling apart. We don't have time, again, be careful. We don't have time to talk about the great salvation because you're going to lose your great salvation, at least the message, because you've got these imposters coming in. So he was, in a sense, instead of teaching them, was doing damage control. And again, I, I'm not, I feel that I, I try to 
back off instead of having a relevant message every week. Well, here's what's happening in the Middle East. Here's what's happening out in California. And here's what's happening in the White House. And here's what's happening in our community. Here's what you need. And all these things here, it's like, well, now that's a dangerous rabbit hole because now you're going to become like a news commentator. And, and, and there's no, again, there's a place for that. But as a Bible teacher, I feel, I feel this very same thing. Although I was very eager to teach you Jude 12 and 13, I felt I had to tell you about what's going on in the Middle East. It's like, well, the fact that I don't really know what's going on in the Middle East kind of relieves me of that responsibility, and I'll just come back to something safe and teach chapter or verses 12 and 13. <laughs> Nonetheless, Jude's in that same situation. I wanted to talk about this, but the contemporary situation you're facing, I've got to address this, this situation or this issue. Uh, I, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. And I, again, that's one of the things I'm going to draw out of this and have been, is there's a place where you need to contend for the Christian faith, fight for the Christian faith. We're not talking about terrorism or bombing or invasions or anything, but you're going to have to take a stand and say, no, this is, isn't, this is inappropriate. This is going to have to go, or I'm not going to participate in this. And he's telling you, you need to contend for the faith. That was once for all entrusted to the saints. And again, once for all entrusted it has come to the saints it's been given to us through the old testament through jesus through the apostles we have in the text of scripture if you close this and start doing contemporary things you're not, it's it's been entrusted once for all here it is once you lose this and i and again this is something i i think about and more and more often is how we're, this is always going to be true the word of god is always going to exist but you can exist as an individual ignorant of this truth or be in a family that is ignorant of this truth or be in a society or a community that it's like we don't know anything about that's why we have missionaries go to foreign fields and explain the gospel and you know lead people to christ well our culture is a place where we've spent the last couple generations trying to remove this from the public from education and now you've got universities you've got politics you've got entire groups of people blocks of people groups that don't know this and we can throw that in that at the church you got people meeting in the church and it's kind of like open your bibles to isaiah it's like open well i had a church like that one time i went in the first sunday well open your bibles too and, I, and it's like and i looked and everyone just stared at me like oh you don't have any bibles I mean, they were used to having, I was supposed to be like the guest speaker. I came out, well, I'm gonna, I was going to exegete through 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, open your Bible to so chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and it was like, just like, no one did their homework, you didn't bring any pencils? I mean, it's like, and it's like, and so I'm, I'm up there, you know, just like, talk well in verse, and everyone's just looking at me like, well, well look in verse 3, it's like, they had, so one of the, once I became pastor, one of the first things we did was we had, we had these little business meetings, is I said, we need to buy Bibles for the pews. And then we put pews right beside all the, the hymnals. And then, of course, we had the big debate, which translation we're going to get. And I've told you this before, but it's worth saying again. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, well, the, the King James, or I use the NIV. I'd use the English Standard Version today if I had a choice. And I, I, I use that in the notes. But the end of the whole conversation was kind of a little debate going on. And finally, one lady pipes up and says, I just think if the King James was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for us. It's kind of like, well, that pretty much seals the deal. Any other comments? Let's vote. And they all went with NIV. And it's, kind of, it's, like, it's like, you know, I mean, okay. 
I, the whole idea, I felt I had to, contend, I write you to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And again, we've been entrusted with this. And again, looking at our culture, where are we going to be in 10 years or uh, you know, five years? With, is, is Christianity, can we even have a revival in, in our culture? Where's it going to come from? Who knows the word of God? Uh, it, it's concerning. Okay, uh, to contend for the faith, uh, for certain men whose condemnation has been written about long ago, and the examples would be what we see right here of Cain through Balaam and Korah, uh, was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. So the idea here is they have slipped into the church. There's these false teachers in the church, and they're not just people hanging out in the back. They are leaders. These are leaders of the church, and this helps identify that, the conversation when we talk about Korah's rebellion Korah rebelled, and he was judged, and the people that joined him were rebelled because they rebelled against Moses, the leadership God had established, and the, the pattern that God had established, we say the word of God, the teaching, they rebelled against that, and so we should, not, we should follow that, and we should not rebel against church leadership. But these people right here are leaders, the heretics are leaders in the church, and Jude is saying, why aren't you rebelling? He, you know, he's using the word contend. You're going to need to contend. You're going to have to fight back. But they're all, they have become, they've secretly become the leaders of the church. And no one wants to rock the boat. We want to be Christ-like. And you've got people misleading the entire direction of the church, uh, exploiting, we're going to find out, exploiting them. And it's like Judas saying, hey, Korah rebelled against God. You're rebelling against false leadership, the false shepherds. And so that's kind of an interesting thing to kind of, again, you don't have to agree with that, but that kind of helps you identify there is a place to kick back and there's a place to, you know, follow the word of God. All right. We continue on going through this. I'm going to jump down to where we're at so we don't spend the whole time reviewing the book. Um, I'm over in verse 11 going on through these people. Woe to them, talking about these leaders in the churches, around 55 AD, verse 11. Woe to them. This begins uh, the three verses we're talking about, 11, 12, and 13. It begins with woe to them. So this is a woe formula. This is uh, how it begins. It, it begins with a woe, and the last line of verse 13, if you look right there, uh, whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So we'll just say judgment has been reserved forever in gloomy darkness. And so woe to them, and then we're going to have three verses, and it all ends with judgment. So what we're going to be talking about right now, this is why these men are going to deserve judgment. They're going to get the same judgment that Cain got, that Balaam got, that Korah got, and it's going to be compared to the judgment of the angel. It's, it's eternal judgment uh even in one of the examples it it, it it would appear that all hope is gone for these people it's it's over the book is closed on them they're not coming back again uh we want to say there's always hope you can always repent but jude is writing to the effect that woe to them just like jesus used that formula it's an old testament prophetic formula woe to nineveh woe to babylon woe to the the, the false shepherds it means judgment has been pronounced. Judas announcing the judgment that's coming on these people. So here it is. Woe to them, and here they say, they have taken the way of Cain. 
They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, again, it, it's like the, the judgment, because of the judgment that was passed on Cain, Korah, and Balaam, and these people are doing the same thing, it's as if it's already done. You can't mess with this and not get this judgment. They have done these things, so the judgment here, we're just waiting for it to manifest. It's already been, already been announced. Now, he now is going to describe them for us in verse 12 and 13. It'll take us two weeks to get through these verses. I tried to do it today, but I'm not going to make it. These men in the NIV are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. So that's one statement. Now he's going to use four illustrations to identify them. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved. So if you look at that right there, after it says those four descriptors are, they are, uh, you've got the sky, you're going to have the land, you're going to have the sea, and then we'll just say space. But the sky, they are clouds without rain. The land, they're trees. And these are autumn trees, meaning it's autumn. There should be fruit. There should be fruit. But it's autumn. It's harvest season. There's no fruit. They are twice dead. Now, what does that mean? And they are uprooted. And that uprooted would be where we get the ideal of hopeless, meaning they're, 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 they have, it's, it's the season for fruit. Just like, you know, very similar to Matthew 24, when Jesus went to look, you know, in Matthew 22, 23, 24, Mark, the same thing. He looks for fruit on the fig tree and then curses it. These people, it's, it's autumn. They should have fruit. They, they're fruitless. Twice dead. Again, I just, we'll head this up next week. But uh, twice dead, that, what does that mean? I think, what, 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 twice dead. One possible would be, one, they were, you know, born into sin, so you are, you need to be saved. They have now, they were born in sin, but their chance for salvation has been lost. They're now dead again. So this would be, you know, in a sense, spiritual death, and you can have a hope of salvation, but this now, they've rejected Christ two times, they're done, which means they're uprooted. I mean, it's not like, well, maybe if we water it. Like Jesus, uh, the, uh, the owner of the vineyard wanted to cut the tree down, and the, and the worker came by and says, well, let me water it, you know, for three seasons. Let me, uh, uh, you know, plant around it, put some fertilizer on it. But then, he says, then cut it down. Well, this tree is uprooted, meaning it's already cut down. It's not like, well, maybe we can, no, it can't produce fruit because, look, it's not even in the ground. It's gone. So, they're clouds without rain, blown by the wind. In the land, they're trees, twice dead, uprooted. They're sea. Uh, there you're going to have the, uh, the waves foaming up their shame. And the idea there is, is waves, you know, smash up against the, the shore, and it, it brings all the impurities out of the water. Uh, the salt water, you know, purifies. Uh, that's a purification system. They're waves full of filth. I mean, we don't think about the ocean that way, but all the waters, even we got a little creek here in, in the backyard, and, you know, it's nice when the kids, when they were younger, the kids go out and play, my grandson Tyler goes down there. But it's like, certain times of the year, it's like, don't go in the creek, because it's just 
it's everybody's yard drains into that. All the little creeks drain into that. Now, if there's a big storm, we've got a lot of water rushing through. It's all fresh water. Then it's like, okay, then they go down and play. And a, but you don't even let them go down because that's filthy water. Well, that drains into the river, which is where all the creeks drain their filthy water into. Then all the rivers come together and drain all their filthy water into the sea, where the salt purifies it, the water evaporates, and you have fresh water. So, in a sense, the sea is the purification system for the earth. That's why in Revelation says uh, the seas are, are totally blood. It's like it's the, even the purification system is shut down. And that's where the earth is within a matter of weeks of just becoming extinct because there's no fresh water. There's no way. It's, it's, God is shutting down the system. That would be where the wrath of God has begun. But nonetheless, they are the sea. They're waves from the sea, and they're not trying to purify, but instead all their filth is just coming up on the sea, like foam coming up on the sea, and everyone can see it. We're going to see it in a day, and it, they're shameless. They don't even, they're not even trying to cover it up. We've all been in situations where we've said something inappropriate socially, or we've done something that was sinful, and we kind of like, oh, we, we try to cover it up. You know, especially publicly, even before God, we try to like hide like Adam. That would be because you, that, that's, well, that's bad, you sinned. But that's good because you're embarrassed. You're shameful. It's like, ah, this is not good. How do I hide this? Okay, well, welcome to Christianity. You can repent and come back to the Lord. They are shameless. They don't, they, no, they're, they're like Adam, who all of a sudden discovered he was naked. It's kind of like, and just walked off. It's like, aren't you going to cover with leaves? Ah, I'll be fine. I don't, even feel, I don't even feel shame. They are waves foaming up, and they're shameless. And the, these are not like, you know, in movies or in politics or down on the, uh, those people over there. These are people that are in your church. They're your leaders in your church. And then wandering stars that are lost and wandering. So these are going to be the four illustrations that are going to be used to describe. Clouds without rain, trees that should have fruit, but they've already been uprooted. They're hopeless. They're the sea, just showing off their shame, not embarrassed by it all, not even able to recognize it. And you can, you can see that today. People, it's like, that is, that is inappropriate. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. It's like, shameless. They don't, don't even care. Now, if it's the world, that's the world. But when it's in the church, it's like, okay, you need to contend for the faith. It was given to you once for all. If you lose it, these are, these are gonna, they're going to redefine Christianity. And again, this is, I think, right where we're at in our culture in many ways. Okay, and then stars, wandering stars, we'll talk about that. But they're going nowhere except the example of a wandering star could be a planet, but more likely it could be like some kind of meteorite going by. It just flashes by and then it disappears into darkness where it's gone forever and you never see it again. And they're like wandering stars that shoot across the sky and boom, they're, they're, they're judged. They're, you'll never see them again. They're in outer darkness. Okay, so we are looking in verse 12. In the NIV, before we go to the notes, verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, Shepherds who feed only themselves. Then here comes your definitions. They are cl or ident uh, illustrations. Clouds without rain, blown and tossed by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So on the notes on page one, I kind of review 
on page one, all the things that we could talk about, what we have talked about in the past three weeks. Page two, I mean, we're going to identify what, what the way of Cain could be, what Balaam's heir was, and Korah's rebellion. Uh, and the, the box I put on page two, I try to create something that captures the idea. You've got the ancient sinners, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, are equal to the contemporary sinners of 55 A.D. or 2023 A.D., the false teachers, and they're all receiving the same judgment from God. I mean, this example is the same as this group and this group. They're all going the same place. Like, well, that was the Old Testament. Well, Judah's saying, no, that's not the Old Testament. That's right now, today, 55 A.D. This is where these people are headed. Well, we could say, well, that was the Old Testament. That was the early church. It's different today. The concept would be, the way it was in Balaam's day is the way it was in Jude's day, which is the way it is in our day. And if you behave like this, you're twice dead, you're uprooted, you're foaming up your shame, and you're heading into outer darkness where you're going to spend eternity. It's like, well, yeah, but Jesus is graceful. Read it again. The same Jesus, the same uh, second member of the Trinity that was in the temple, the tabernacle, that consumed Korah or that spoke through Balaam and then brought the plague, uh, that's the same Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us and offered salvation, died on the cross for the sins. But those who refuse that and become what we'd say twice dead, you've been born dead and you've rejected salvation, you're now twice dead, the only thing left for you is the judgment of God. And Jesus makes it very clear uh, from the beginning all the way through that judgment is coming. Think about the Garden of Eden. If it wasn't a serious deal, Adam's sin, uh, why did it change the entire direction of history? Why couldn't God just come and say, well, we all make mistakes. Just, just don't eat from the tree again. I mean, it was like one and done deal. Don't eat from the tree. You ate from the tree. Boom, everything changed. I didn't get a chance to practice. It's like, no, this is, there's no second chances. And Jesus is, in a sense, the second chance and the only chance. And if they mess that up, there's nothing left. Okay, chapter 12, or verse 12, bottom of page 2. There you've got it in the English Standard. These are, the, talking when it says these are, talking to these people, they are hidden reefs at your love feast. Now, I'm going to write these things down. Hidden reefs. We're going to talk about each one of these. I hope you're, uh, you're okay. Hidden reefs. And then we're going to have the word love feast, which is an interesting concept. Uh, Love feast, uh, as they feast with you without fear. They are, there it is, without fear. And that word right there can be without shame, without recognition. That's where they're just, they're, they're, they're sinning right in your midst, and you're just, they're, they're not, they don't even feel bad about it. They're not even trying to cover it up. And they're encouraging others, come on, it's not that bad. The water's good. Um, without fear, and then shepherds feeding themselves. And then begin, then that's again, shepherds. And the idea there is there's shepherds who are only feeding, and this goes right into the end of uh, John, is it John 21? Peter was told by Jesus, feed my sheep. These shepherds are feeding themselves. In other words, they are in the church of Jude's churches that he's writing to. They, are, they, are, they secretly come in. People have accepted them. They're hiding reefs, stones that where ships would run into. They're joining the, the, the feasts, the banquets the Christians are involved in. 
and there they are sinning without shame, and they are the whole thing that they're there for. People accept them, people like them, but the whole reason they're there is they are leaders who are only taking care of themselves. If you're going to be a leader for God, like Moses, and Moses was a great example, you saw those problems where the people would get into problems or they'd sin against God. Moses' first reaction was to protect them from God, would try to convince them, try to intercede for them. These people are not at all interested. We'd say they're, they're fleecing the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. And again, we'll, we're going to talk about that. But that's what you see right there. Uh, in the Greek notes, uh, I, I've highlighted these words. Uh, in the two squares, you see the phrase love feast. That's this phrase right here. It is the word agape, but in a, a uh, indirect object form. Uh, again, I, I don't know much about language. I try to process it, but it's not a verb. It's not a, it is the word agape, but it's not a verb or a noun. It's referring to an object such as, and that's why they put in there, a feast, because they pick it up from hidden reefs, and then in the other square, the phrase is feasting together with you. Now, we've got to talk about feasting, uh, and that word right there, the S-U-N or S-Y-N in the Greek means together or with, and the last part, which would be uh, the E-U-O-C, uh, we'll talk about that, that word, it, it, it means it's a feast, it's a banquet, it's, it's lavish, it's expensive, and it's not Christian, it's cultural. It's, it's, they did it for uh, uh, birthdays. They did it f at, at funerals. They would have these feasts. If it be a political gathering, they'd, Jesus talked about the, the banquet at the kingdom of God. Every, everybody comes together and everything's all the food is there. It's a big celebration of some group of people. Maybe it's, it could be a guild, like if it may be the, the Potter's Guild or whatever. These guys have come together. It's like a business convention. They just get together and have this feast. Sometimes it's just for a celebration. A lot of times uh, the culture was you would not have a sacrifice to a god. In fact, one of the writers writes, you wouldn't bring a sacrifice to the god without bringing the people for a feast. It's like, why bring a sacrifice to a god and then there's nobody there? It's like, if we're going to have a sacrifice to this God, there's got to be people there with a party, a celebration, celebrating the sacrifice, recognizing this God. And so these, these banquets, these feasts, this is identifying the Christian term became agape. Agape, and again, it's in a form of being an object, meaning it's, it's, it's something dealing with this feast. They've come together for a lavish banquet, but the, the focus here is, is love. And this is the first time this word is used is 55 AD by Jude where this is called the love feast. Now watch, th if this is 55 AD, all we've got to do is go to 1 Corinthians and read about in 57 AD uh, or 55 AD, it could 55 and then 57, uh, right at the same time period, they're having the same problems with their love feast. And what is happening, and I'm going to show you the notes here, is there is the ideal of the banquet. Oh, okay, I'm spelling banquet. That was a cultural banquet. It's like a, a birthday party. It's, it's like a gathering. It's like Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's just, you know, the Jews had one, Passover and others. It has nothing to do with Christianity, except this happens to be a banquet that Christians are meeting together. And while they're there, they're going to have what we would say the Lord's Supper. Now, interestingly and this is where again a little bit of church history a little bit of navigation we've got to figure this out or put this together 
But the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus at Passover. So it was at a type of a banquet, a feast. But the Lord's Supper stands alone in the sense of Jesus saying, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, this is the, the, my body. This is my blood. That they ended up putting it with a Christian banquet. Now, this would be a celebration. So now you can see what's going to happen right here. The Christians are remembering the Lord at the Lord's Supper, but they're going to do it, well, let's, let's get together and have a banquet, have a feast. Uh, but the, the, their example is the culture. It's a party. You know, coming to my house Friday night, we're going to have a party. We'll have communion while we're there. So everybody comes over for the party. Oh, hey, let's have communion quick. Meanwhile, the party's going on, which is cultural. Well, now you've got people that aren't even Christians, that don't even have faith. They've denied the Lord. They see your freedom in Christ and see it as a license for sin. They come in and go, hey, we would like to join this. They have some kind of charismatic personality. They're great leaders. Maybe they're important business people, whatever they come in. And, uh, boy, I think I spelled banquet really wrong there. But is that, is that close? Okay. But uh, they have no idea of this, and they're going to combine these together, and it's going to turn into, well, let's go to, let's just go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, I, I'm thinking it's 1 Corinthians 11. And again, this is, if my suggestion, and I'm not the only one, it's just we don't know, you've got to debate it, think about it. If my suggestion that Jude is being written in uh, 55 A.D., this book of 1 Corinthians is written exactly that same time. He writes Romans from Corinth in 57 A.D., but that's after he's written 1 and 2 Corinthians I'm just trying to flip through here. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've got the date here in my Bible for 1 Corinthians. It's not like God didn't give it to me, but 55 A.D. So this 1 Corinthians is being written exactly the same time Jude is writing this letter. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. And you know these verses. It's Paul is having trouble with the Corinthian church. Same thing. He laid down the foundation of Christianity. They become Christians. They believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. They believe in their ultimate return of Christ, their resurrection, and that they are supposed to, they, they saw themselves transformed. They saw the power of God come into the church. When we say the power of God, people, oh, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. They saw themselves transferred from pagans to starting to become holy saints following God. So they saw a transition in their lives of the truth coming in their lives. And then they had a bunch of teachers come in, Greek rhetoricians that were like professional speakers. That's where Paul says, I'm not a trained speaker. And now he's, again, for Paul, people overstate, I'm, I'm, now I'm in a completely different book. But when Paul says, you know, I'm not a trained speaker, it means, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a truck driver out here driving truck. I've never been gone to school. I'm not making fun of truck drivers. My wife's family's truck drivers. Uh, some of us wish we were truck drivers. It'd be that pretty simple life. Uh, well, again, it's, I'm not making fun of truck drivers. That's simple. But I mean, it's like you don't have, I'm thinking, you don't have 30 kids in a classroom. It's okay, 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 okay. But nonetheless, sorry about truck drivers. What's that? I'm in chapter 11. Yeah, thank God we're not going to do 10 chapters to get to chapter 11. Okay, I'm so sorry. Here we go. Okay, uh, Paul was trained, uh, was a high, highly trained rabbi. I mean, he knew languages. He knew culture. He'd read the literature of the Greeks, the Romans. He'd read all the Jewish literature. He was, he would, he, whenever he showed up at a synagogue, 
he would just travel and he'd end up in a Jewish synagogue someplace in Greece or in, in, in uh, Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. They put him front and center. Boom, you're speaking today. I mean, he'd show up. I mean, imagine going to a church and like, oh, speak today. So Paul was a speaker, but he wasn't a trained rhetorician. That, that was even a, 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 like a college class, a career. You were trained in public speaking of moving the crowd. And these rhetoricians came in and started moving the Corinthians. And Paul made fun of them, calling them super apostles. They're the super apostles. Uh, because every oh, well, Paul's good, but yeah, he's got kind of a dumbed down message. I mean, Jesus died for the sins. Look at this guy. And he's like, they come in, they've got a gather, wherever there's a gathering of people, there's power to be tapped into. And so these guys would come in and they, oh, they love listening to these rhetoricians. Well, they began to chip away at Christianity and try and take Christianity and combine it with their philosophy, the Greek philosophy. And if you look in, in they, they even get out of the place where they've got a, Paul's in chapter 15, he's got to argue that Christ came out of the tomb physically and that we too will be physically resurrected. Because they're like, oh, we don't need that physical resurrection stuff. We'll just get the spiritual. And Paul's like, you've changed the entire message. And so now this is the church. He's going through and trying to solve their problems. And here it is, chapter 11, uh, verse 17. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17, same year as this is being written, within months. If... In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, I've been saying that for years. Your church services are doing more damage to the Christians than good. Stay out of the church services. Well, that's bad. It's like, do you know what they're doing? They've dumbed it down so far. You'd be better at staying home, reading your Bible with a couple friends and going to church and getting all this that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about 55 AD in Corinth. But he's saying a very similar thing. Your meetings do more harm than good. Why would anyone go? In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now watch this. So division is not good. But Paul makes a correct. Yes, division is good. Jude's demanding division. He says, you've got to divide, start contending and start separating people. These guys are gone. Well, you're causing division. So Paul says, there's division among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Now watch verse 19. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So he says, okay, you come together, and there's divisions. Not the right kind of divisions. You're dividing into cultural groups like the rich and the poor or, you know, whatever, there has to be divisions because some of you are right and some of you are wrong. So the right need to leave, get away from the wrong. So there has to be division, but not the kind of division you're bringing. You're bringing cultural division. He's talking about their meetings. Now, when we talk about meetings here, we're combining this right here. They're coming together for a banquet, a feast, a, a community gathering. It, it shows unity. And then they'll throw in the Lord's Supper in there. Like this, so these are two things: the Lord established the Lord's Supper, but there was a cultural pattern of having banquets or potlucks. <laughs> no doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. See, when you come together, you're not coming together for this. You're not coming together to remember the Lord. You're not coming together for Bible study. 
you're coming together for a party, a feast. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's cultural, but as a Christian, you come together, there's certain things that go on at banquets or parties that that's not, our, that's not what we're looking for. That's not our style. That's not what we're called to do. So you come together. You're not coming together for the Lord's Supper. You started that way, but these rhetoricians, the false leaders have come in, and they've turned it into a banquet. Whoo! This is exactly what Jude's talking about. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. So in other words, there's your division. Some over here, they, they've come to the church, and you, you've heard this preached before, but they've come to the church, but they don't have, they've came for maybe the Lord's Supper, they've came for teaching, they've came because they're Christian, they want to be in the community. But others have come, and it's like, Okay, they've got a big, you know, they're used to having the, you ever seen the mosaics of the floors? And something? I mean, we're not, we're not talking cavemen. We're talking uh, some of the excavations they do. They've got, well, Pompeii. Think of Pompeii. That, that was, Pompeii was destroyed in, what was it, 71, 73 AD? It's right, right after the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but it's beautiful places. And so they get together and have these great parties that they're used to having. But the church is now mixed in with it. So some are like outsiders. There's the vision. There's the poor over here. But we're over here, our, our group, we're having a, a party. So that's the division Paul doesn't want. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper. It says you're not here for the Lord's Supper. We're Christians. We're getting together for a church gathering. Well, you're not here for the Lord's Supper. You're not here for Bible teaching. You're here for a secular party. You're here for just a hangout, the community. We're going to have a good time. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Get, wait, gets drunk, that means they drank too much wine. They're drunk at the banquet. Uh, they haven't even started the Lord's Supper yet. So they've come to the banquet and they're drunk. And they're not ashamed of it, without fear. It's like you're drunk at a church gathering and that's what we do at banquets. It's like this is not a public society, secular banquet. This is a gathering where we're going to remember the sacrifice of the Lord and have some Bible teaching. Well, can we have some snacks? Can we have a potluck? Can we have just a, can we just have a, a party? And that's what it can't turn into. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? In other words, if you want to have a banquet, if you want to have a feast at your house, have people, friends over on Friday night, do it in your house. Now, again, he's not condoning drunkenness, but he's saying, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but not here. As you eat, okay, one remains hungry. Don't you have homes? Or do you, dis watch this, or do you despise the church of God? And I can, I can tell you story after story. I'll give you, you should have some of your own. If you've been in churches for any amount of time, and it's so dumbed down, you're, you're numb to it. But I will tell you an example. I could tell you a hundred examples. But here's one innocent little example. It was 30 some years ago. I'm a pastor of a church. It's a small church, country church. I'm teaching school also. And we have an Easter sunrise service. And you know where I'm going with this, Tony. And again, you can judge. If you say, well, Galen, you're, you're just a whiny old white man. <laughs> okay. 
that, that's, that's true, probably. <laughs> but I wasn't an old man back in. I was a young man. I was in my 30s. But we, we schedule a, a sunrise service Easter morning. Easter morning! Up from the grave he arose. I mean, we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. Now, this was before I, I, I was like working with people. You see, I was still working with people back then. That's not the case anymore. It's like, here's this, here's this. If you don't like it, I don't care. Back then, I was working because I thought you were supposed to work with people. You're like a good Christian. And people have input. And there's people, other positions in the church, you know, treasures and deacons and deaconesses. And, and, you know, I was just the guy that did the entertaining on Sunday mornings and buried people and visited people in the hospital and went to all the graduation parties. Oh. Um, and some of you call that shepherding in, in a positive sense. Anyway, uh, way too long, this story, but... What ends up happening on this Easter sunrise service, people would start asking. Now, you're getting up early. It's like before, we're going to have the main service later. This is earlier in the morning. We're going to have this. Then we're going to eat breakfast. We're going to come back and have another church service and Sunday school. It's an all-day event, which is fine. But early Easter morning, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this thing turns into uh, an entertainment, a talent show. It's like... And I'm sitting there in my pastoral chair, and I'm thinking, good God, it's like the Ed Sullivan show. It's like, I'm like Ed Sullivan. And it's like, and there's nothing, I'm just looking out at the people thinking, you clowns. This is the resurrection, Sunday morning, plus I got up early, it's Sunday morning resurrection, and it's like, and, and they're, they're bringing their grandkids up. Now, I know we're all proud of our grandkids, but your grandkids entertaining us at church on a sunrise anytime unless you're going to say on thursday night we're going to have an entertainment little entertainment show uh, a talent show at the church on thursday night talent show at the church go for it at seven o'clock on thursday night but easter morning it was show one right after the other of grandchildren and 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 sometimes it'd be a christian duet okay fine and then someone else would come up and they'd do their thing and then the kicker right here, and I'm thinking, I mean, I'm trying to figure out where I fit in this. Am I being judgmental, or has this just gone off the rocker? A, a cute little girl in a little tutu, she's got some kind of dance class she's in, a cute little girl. It's very appropriate for a dance recital or, or you know, school, but I'm a little teacup. I'm a little teacup short and spe- And I'm sitting there in my pastoral chair, which, you know, whatever. That's where I'm supposed to sit. And I've got this little girl in a tutu. And people are just like, oh, it's Easter sunrise service. And it's just like, this is not like just a weird thing. It's just like one right after the other of little talent show things. And it's like, can't we do this on Thursday night? Well, I mean, it's like, well, do you, are you against... No, I mean, it's the church, you can use it. It's, it. There's no church buildings in the Bible. It's like, this is a holy sanctuary. It's like, not really. It's a building where we meet in. I mean, this is my house. I mean, you know, we have kids playing. We have all kinds of things happening in here. It, but it's like, it, it, when you gather together for a church service, if you're in a church building or not, it should have some kind of, you know, appropriateness to it. Now, there was no drinking going on. Uh, but I mean, but we go out 
and you, you go to church today, and, and, and as you get into a church, it's like, are we here for Bible teaching and the Lord's Supper and do this and remember some of you? Or it's like, and then it's just like, oh, you've seen, you've heard. It's like, good God, what is this? It's like Adventureland or something. It's like, you, you've compromised. Yeah, but we've got a bigger banquet than your other church has a banquet. Let me tell you what, there's no banquet here. There's no potluck. I mean, we don't even have coffee. You're going to have the Word of God. Bible. It's like, and why are you against all this? I'm trying to dumb this down. So it's like, you've got one choice the word of god or nothing it's like well can we no you can't i've had people hand out flyers one time someone they they asked me can we have a potluck generation can we have a generation i said no we're not no you if you want to there's churches wanting you to have pot they're they're they, they're potluck committees you want potluck every potluck we've got one they want you there for their potluck generation word no potluck but talk to the guy about two weeks later, someone comes up at me. It might have been one of you. Shows me a paper, a flyer. Says, I thought you said we were going to have a potluck. I says, why would we have a potluck? This is what we are next week at a park. Generation word, potluck at a certain park. It's like, so I hunted that guy down, talked to him, and then, of course, made him mad, of course, on purpose. Like, what don't you understand? And then, you know, half the people stopped coming because he sent emails to everybody. It's like, I'm not into that game of just this, you know, whatever. But nonetheless, you see this happening right here. Wanting to turn this into a banquet, make it, make it some kind of, well, that's what's happening here. Here we go. What? Let me finish Paul's words. I don't think half left. What's that? 25% left. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. I, yeah, there I, I, I flatter myself. <laughs> yeah, you didn't clear <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay. But they, what they, did, they did do, I'm a little teacup. That, that part of the story was true. It was cute. It was cute, but it's like not on Easter morning. Plus, I got up early. I'm already crabby. Okay. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God? Do you despise the church of God that you're going to do that kind of stuff during a church service and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I, first, then he goes on, verse 23, for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. Now, this is where Paul doesn't have firsthand information. He did not receive this from the Lord. It was not a revelation. It's like he was not there. He was a Pharisee. While Jesus was dying on the cross or doing the Last Supper, he learned this from Peter, James, John, or probably Peter, John, James was dead. Uh, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. And here he says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner at a banquet, a secular feast, Whoever drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine, here's how you should do it. You should examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is right here for you to reflect and remember the Lord has paid for your sins. You are going to be resurrected. He has a plan. And if you have separated yourself with your thoughts, actions, 
it's a time for confession and examining yourself. Where can I improve and draw close? You're not going to get saved because of this, but you're going to improve that relationship. But if you just count this and you just keep going through this and just running through the Christian life without ever recognizing this, it says, uh, but uh, let's see. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, when you come together for this, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. This is not a potluck. If you want food, have a meal, have it at home. When we come together, it's a sacred ceremony, not some kind of a public secular party. He should eat it at home and so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further direction. Now, he's, this is a big issue for him, but he's just gave you a little bit of an insight there. When he comes, he says, I'm now going to walk you through this. So anyway, that's kind of where we're coming from right there. Does that help you at all? Let's go to the notes. Bottom of page two, we're looking at the, uh, the uh, Greek there. These are the ones in the love feast. And that word love feast in the first square box is the word agape as some kind of an object. And so we're trying to gather that together. Of you, they're hidden reefs. These, these false teachers are hidden reefs at these banquets. And we'll talk about their hidden reefs. There's, there's stones along the coast as you're bringing your ship to shore you can't see the damage they're going to cause, but you're going to run your ship. You're going to sink your ship right before you get to shore because these people at this banquet are not here for the Lord. They're stealth under the water, and you're going to crash in, and, and you're going to be just like Korah led a rebellion. He was with Dathan and Abiram with their, their tents. Meanwhile, 250 people were getting smoked in the tabernacle. Those were his followers. Those that got consumed by fire were, uh, were his followers. And so these people would be Korah, but there's 250 people follow them that are going to be destroyed because they followed Korah. And so that's what, that's what Jude is concerned with. You can, if you want to accept it this way, he, ha, he has love for the church because about 250 of you, if you're in Korah's situation, are going to get consumed in judgment because you're following the Korah, who's these stones along the coast. This is not right. So here we go. Uh, Point one on page three, I just described what, what these refer to. These are the false teachers. I think we've gone through all of that. Point two, Jude uses a series of descriptive terms, and that's how I break that down. I've already referred to that. This first, today we're looking at at your love feast, hidden reefs, feasts without fear, and shepherds feeding themselves. And then next week we'll see the four images, the clouds, the trees, the waves, the stars. Uh, point three, at your love feast. I want to just give you the background on this. The love feast, uh, Feasts or banquet was a social institution. Uh, feasts were held for many reasons. Uh, the word koinonia, which means fellowship or just for sharing, friendship, pleasure. I, I think it'd be safe to say you have parties. Like you don't have to have a drunken party, uh, but it can become a drunken party. But you have parties, you have get-togethers, you know, you have friends over for a variety. Maybe it's, it's people from work, you know. Maybe it, it's family. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's people from church. Maybe you have a get-together at church. Uh, they had all kinds of reasons, uh, friendship, pleasure, uh, birthdays, weddings, funerals, sacrifice. There's that quote from Dio Chrysostrum, uh, what sacrifice is acceptable to the gods without the participants in the feast. There has to be a banquet. 
guilds, political alignments, Jews even had like Passover and many others. Any kind of organizations or clubs would have these banquets. So that was their culture. So when they get together as Christians, it's like, hey, let's get together for a potluck. It's like there's nothing wrong with that except if it's for this purpose here and you turn this into a just like, you want to be just like the world. No, the Christians are not getting, you've already got the different groups to get together socially. You're getting together for a different purpose. Um, oh, where am I at here? Okay, guilds. Okay, so the point C at the bottom of page three. So the concept, practice, style, behavior at feasts or banquets was well established. The point there, when someone would come from the pagan world, they would, it, it, they would join the church. They would accept Christ. They're coming with party experience. They're coming with banquet experience. So when someone says, hey, come to our church party, Ah, we know what party is like here, here, here. So we come here, they're bringing their culture in. You need to say, this is not, this is different than the world. We're going to have a get-together, but you can't let the world come in and define. You want, like we talk about, you, you want to be inclusive, but you can't let those that come into the church change what the church is. And that's what's, but that's what was happening, and that's what Jude is upset with. Um, down here. Turn to page four. The Christians also had a fellowship, a community, a Christian meal. Judas concerned, point E, Judas concerned that the heretics had already joined the believer's feast and were setting the agenda, and they were. Uh, I take a cheap shot at potlucks and point F, G. First round identifying, okay. That's identifying the word is just a God. It took me a while to figure that out, agapeus. I kept looking for the word love feast, love feast. It, it is not, the word is not love feast, it's agapeus, meaning it's, it's love, and it's like an, a, it's the object that's receiving the verb. It's like, so you're gathering for agape, and so that, that, the definition comes from the next word that's over there. Uh, and again, the examples would be in Acts, uh, where the early church met together and ate together. Uh, First Corinthians, we just read that. I wrote 57 AD, that should be 55 AD. Second Peter 2.13 is a parallel verse. Uh, and I may take this right here and go to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and just read it because this is a parallel verse right here. 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, and so this would be written 64 AD, probably about nine years later if we're close. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Uh, I'm going to get in verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. But these men, and again, Peter is talking about the exact same situation. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. Like beasts, they too will perish. I mean, they're not right. They're just responding with instinct. What their, their Christian experience is nothing but just instinct, just like an animal. They're, there's not a, an academic level. There's not a spiritual level. They're just interacting like an animal they'll be paid back with harm for the harm they have done they are they are harming people in the church and they'll be paid back they, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight they are see right there their ideal of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight the idea there is even some of the banquets the, the inappropriate banquets i got this out of a, a, a historical co commentary they would have banquets, but if they became what we'd say uh, uh, wicked banquets, they would. Ne it was even in the Roman culture. You didn't do that during the day. 
If you're going to have a, a banquet and it's going to get out of control, drunkenness and all kinds of inappropriate behavior, that happens at night. And so th- this is a huge statement here. It says, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They're having these banquets, wicked banquets, in broad daylight. It's the same thing as Judah saying, they have no shame. They're, they're shameless. They don't even feel embarrassed. They're out f- f- uh, flaunting their wickedness as if, hey, they, they've come out of the closet in a sense. Uh, their idea of pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. They are, here's the words, blots and blemishes. And we're going to try to look at those two words. Reveling in their pleasures, watch, while they feast with you. And there's that, that feast is the word, the banquet. The same thing back here where you've combined the Lord's Supper with a banquet or a feast, a cultural banquet. So they've come into your feast, carousing in broad daylight, totally wicked and not ashamed of it. And they've come into the church. This is Peter writing now in 64 AD, copying what Jude is saying. So we see it in Jude. We see it in 1 Corinthians with Paul and we see uh, Peter. So, so uh, Jude, Peter, and Paul are all addressing the same issue that these, and we're not talking like 100, 200, 300 AD. We're talking 20 years after the resurrection, 30 years after the resurrection. The church is already being overrun by this wickedness coming from the outside, and the church doesn't push back. They're like, well, you we don't want to drive people away. They're blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With what? Here again, this is again giving an insight of what's going on at these parties. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, and he continues there with that. But you can kind of see where where these feasts are headed, and Jude is uh, addressing that. That is 2 Peter. Now look at the bottom of page 4. Um. The word for hidden reefs, and again, I don't, I, I, this is probably wrong of me, but the hidden reefs, some translate that as spots. They are spots or blemishes. You saw that in, in, in 2 Peter. But if you look in 2 Peter right here, I've got the Greek box, it is a different word than what is in, in, uh, in, in Jude. Jude's word can eventually, was going to be used as spots or blemishes, but at this time, the original meaning of the word meant, again, hidden reefs, rocks along the shore, that they're hidden. Just like they, the people have come in there stealth and no one knows they've come into the church, they're now at your parties behaving in such a way that they're making it look normal. This is the way Christians behave, and they're rocks. They're not, they're, they're, they're not going to be damaged, but you hanging out with them in your church are going to crash your ship into those rocks. So it's not a matter of, they're, they're, they're uprooted, they're done, they're, there's no hope for them, but they're going to cause damage to those believers. And that's what Jude is trying to correct here. And that just goes through and it compares those two words. Uh, point five on page five, feasting together with you fearlessly. Feasting together with you is from the Greek word, and that's a whole long Greek word right there. The S-U-N means together, and the second part of the word is five, a to there is e-u-o-c-h-e-o it means watch this the word that they're using for feast means feast entertain lavishly 
expensive banquet. So when they're, every time that Jude is using this word, feast, it is not what we would even call a potluck. It is lavish. It is expensive. It is a big deal, uh, this, this banquet, this feast. It's all out a big deal. So they're coming together. And that's why some are over here with a lot, and others are coming to the church. It's like, we don't have this kind of resources. And so you've got this gap. between Some people are coming for like this full-blown-out feast party, expensive, lavish, all-night party, and others are coming for church service. And that's what Paul is getting in. He says, you're, you're, you're separating people, making divisions. That's not correct. If you're going to make a division, make it over doctrinal issues, not over who can have a lavish party. Um, and point B, fearlessly, comes from the word, it means without fear, indicates point B there. They're fearless in the situation. They're shameless with violating the social standards. And again, you've all done something, you know, socially unacceptable and been embarrassed. I think about stuff. I'm not, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I just can't go back to sleep. Start thinking about things. Like, oh, I'm just embarrassed. Just laying in bed. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. That's a good sign. You know, you're, you're, you're looking for improvement. But these people are... They're shameless. They're, they're feasting without shame. It's like, that, that's, that's rude. That's obnoxious. That's inappropriate. It's like, I don't think so. And they just keep on. And others are watching, and instead of following Paul and the text of Scripture towards Christ, they're following these rocks and blemishes at the, at the feast and destroying their Christian life. And Jude's trying to put a stop to it. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll close this down. And where are we going to go? Right here, point six. We'll pick this up next week. Themselves shepherding. And then that goes back to Ezekiel 34, which is a great verse, because Jude says the only people they're feeding, the only people they're, they're shepherding is themselves. They're using you to get what they want. And it's not a new problem because Ezekiel's got a whole chapter in Ezekiel 34, and there's going to be the words. Jude is getting the words out of Ezekiel 34, that the shepherds before the fall of Jerusalem, the shepherds of Jerusalem were using themselves, and this is the, the end of the fourth generation, they were using the people for themselves. They were the leaders, but they were profiting, they were gaining, the people were being eaten by the shepherds, in a sense. They're, they're being fleeced. And Jude puts it in the same situation, uses the same thing. These are just like the shepherds of, of 586 B.C. They're just taking care of themselves. They're the same thing. They've come into your church. They're destroying people's faith. You're, they're shipwrecking their lives. And in the end, the only people they are shepherding or taking care of is themselves. Which leads again to uh, 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 Jesus talking to Peter when he says, do you love me three times? Then he says, feed my sheep. Meaning what Jesus is looking for, for the people that are believers, is someone to feed or shepherd the sheep instead of using it as some kind of a financial gain and just suppressing the truth and turning it into some kind of a cultural activity. And again, we'll pick this up next week. This is talking about 55 AD. Don't take it personal. That's talking about, Jude's talking about 55 AD, not 2023. If there's any references made to the modern church, uh, just, just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with us. I'll pray and we're free to go. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would examine our own hearts, that we would pursue you, that you'd use our, our desires to serve you, to follow you, to help others as we continue to walk in your ways. Father, we do thank you again for an opportunity to be alive at this time in history and ask that we would not live fearfully, but we would live confident in the fact that you have a plan, that you've called us and have equipped us. 
And we do ask that you'd use our lives to shine a light to your truth here at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.